Hello. <clears throat> Good afternoon and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a longtime contributing editor and writer for CIO.com. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous and much appreciated support of our CIO Executive Council and also my friends at CIO.com. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on our YouTube channel, CIO's YouTube channel. And we welcome all of our viewers who are joining in and listening to my conversation today to tap in with questions of your own, especially if you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work with an executive coach who used to be one of our world-famous CIOs. I'm very pleased today to be welcoming Justin Kershaw. He is a CIO executive council coach, a startup co-founder and president, a board director, a member of our CIO Hall of Fame, and until very recently, the CIO at Cargill. He's retired now. One year ago this month, Justin stepped away from his post as CIO of America's largest privately held company. That's a $165 billion giant in the food, agriculture, financial, and industrial products industries. Justin had been with Cargill for about the last decade of a 30-plus year career as an IT leader, overseeing the company's global IT functions. Two years ago, Justin also joined me here as a guest on CIO Leadership Live, where we talked about Cargill's ongoing multi-year business transformation and how he and his teams were applying the power of IT to improve food and worker safety across the global food and agricultural systems. Before Cargill, Justin was CIO of the industrial sector of Eaton Corporation, and earlier in his career, while he was CIO of W.L. Gore and Associates, he also served as an original member of the state of Delaware's Information Technology Investment Council. On top of all of this, Justin is currently serving on the board of a publicly held company called Atcor Corporation, and he serves as a board advisor for the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Data and Information Sciences, and he's a member of the Luminaries program at Accenture. Our topics today are going to cover some new ground for Justin as we catch up on his life after CIO and talk about his coaching work with our CIO Executive Council, and also one of his latest, most passionate missions in cybersecurity, where he is aimed at helping small and mid-sized companies prepare to win the fight against ransomware. Justin, welcome. So good to have you here again. Oh, it's great to be here. It's an honor. Mary Fran, great seeing you, and uh, looking forward to the hour. Yes, me too. Absolutely mutual. How did you figure out what you wanted to do in your post-CIO life? You're a year into it now, and obviously from that introduction, you've got a lot going on, a lot of balls in the air already. So how did you parse through what you were going to do after leaving your, your post at Cargill? Yeah, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, uh, first things first, you know, I made a mm -hmm. promise to uh, family that I'd take six months and not say yes to anything for six months and um, mm -hmm. and learn how to be bored mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, not know what to do with the day. So uh, six, six months in, um, you know, it gave you, uh, gave you, it gave me a lot of time to think. And, yeah. um, 
and and you know what what bubbles at the top of the list pretty quick was well I'm not going to do nothing I'm, I mean I'm I'm going to fish a little more I'm going to play a lot more golf but mm-hmm. I'm not going to you know not not do nothing and and one of the things I've loved to do for a long time is coach yes and um, and I thought okay so have some knowledge and experience in some game film in the technology and technology leadership field and so when the CIO executive council reached out. Um, you know, I, I, I was interested pretty quickly and, okay. uh, and looked into the program. And so that with that bubble to the top of the list. Oh, good. And, uh, and I also had yeah. some relationships, you know, in Cargill. Uh, one of them was with Ocu- uh, the founder of Aquabyte mm-hmm. um, and Brighton, Brighton Shang, the, the f- uh, founder and CEO reached out and asked if, if I would, uh, you know, help him with some of uh, his leadership stuff with aquabite and mm-hmm. so i said yes to that and and uh and that's that's pretty much how things came together so you practiced saying no for a little while but ended up being much yeah. happier saying yes <laughs> yeah i mean i would i guess really with this with uh most of those things it was like well um i'm not saying yes now but uh how about i call you back <laughs> yeah <laughs> or we re- good we reach back out to each other in a in X number of months, and that's really how it, uh, yep. it, it happened. Well, and you mentioned how you've always enjoyed uh, coaching, and you're not just talking about executive coaching in a business sense. You've also been involved with youth sports most of your life and a coach, and you're a, you're a college rower and that sort of thing. So the, the idea of being a coach, that's not a new mantle for you. <laughs> No, no, exactly. And you would think it would be really different between the athletics and the business world. And I find it in some ways it's uh, there's a lot of similarities. There's certainly differences and there's different things at stake. Um, yes. But, you know, or I would say and, um, you know, your method and, and how you think about it and plan for it and prepare. A lot of that's uh, similar. OK, well, good. Well, um, you also while you were figuring out what to do, you talk to other CIOs, some of your own past mentors, uh, folks that had retired but not really stopped. Well, they'd retired but not. They weren't running around without a purpose, right? So yeah, right, exactly, yeah. exactly. What was that? What was that like? Was there anyone who gave you a real aha moment when you were speaking with them? Uh, yeah, I would say everybody really, you know, I definitely spoke to the members of ACOR board about retirement and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them were similar on, um, you know, be careful what you say yes to, don't join mm-hmm. anything you wouldn't want to be an employee of or, you know, um, you know, all of those types of things. And then, and then you hear from others also, um, hey, don't wait too long, right? Because, you know, you, mm-hmm. you have a shelf life in retirement, right? And, and so, uh, so you know, it was it was that type of uh, that type of advice, right? And, yes. And, um, and yeah, and I would say having a network to reach out to was something I was very appreciative of, right? And yes. And uh, you know, yeah, and, and you reached out to a few people, and I got some pretty good advice on what mm-hmm. to do, and it's so far so good, right? I mean, although when I was listening to you with the introduction, I yeah, I was thinking like, well, may- maybe I'm doing a little too much, right? Now. But, <laughs> But, uh, Maybe that but list no, is already all, getting too long. You were thinking yeah, too long, yeah. yeah. No, but it's it's all it's all been good, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really great. It's 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 going very well. 
Well, and I've heard you say so many times over the years, you've been involved uh, with CIO Magazine and CIO.com. You've always been very generous about giving of your time and your expertise. I mean, I know I've dragged you on to stages a couple of times. I used to say when I was the editor-in-chief at CIO Magazine that I was filling pages and stages with CIOs. And you were often one of those people who responded, which always amazed me a little bit because you were, you had a, very big, huge job uh, at Cargill. And it's always, it's wonderful when CIOs at that level are willing to pay attention to their network and to getting out there and kind of being an example for others. Um, And you used to often say that technology leadership is really a team sport. Uh, Talk a little bit about the similarities between uh, coaching kids in a sports situation and starting to coach um, other executives who are, are coming up the ladder toward big CIO jobs like yours. Sure, sure. You know, and and, and just just a second for that. You know, I want to thank you because you provide a platform for what I what, which I think is really really important. The mm-hmm. stories of technology and technology leadership need to be shared. Yes. And and told because it's so important. It's becoming more and more important to society. Mm-hmm. And this is a place where, you know, where you bring people in who have had the opportunity to lead technology and share these stories. Yes. And, uh, and I just think that's really important as well. So hats off to you for that one. Well, thank you. And to your question, mm-hmm. you know, to your question, um, the, you know, the idea of, you know, us and we versus I and me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's similar between any any team uh, coaching and developing that culture, developing that culture of us, um, and then having you know setting targets, strat you know, um, and having strategies to achieve those targets. Yeah, um, and and having a having a brand and a style for your team, like how you're going to play the game, mm-hmm. how you're going to achieve, how you're going to win. I mean, those things, um, and bringing your whether it's your athletes or your leadership team and your executive team into that, all of those um, aspects of coaching mm-hmm. are, are, um, are important, whether yeah. you're running a company, um, a government agency, a board mm-hmm. of directors, mm-hmm. um, or, or a team, like whether it's the, you know, a basketball team or, or a rowing team. Yeah. Um, those, those attributes are very similar in techniques and reading and learning um, and keeping good notes over the years on what works and what doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, is um, I think those things are very similar. And I've always had a passion for for understanding that and, and yeah. being, you know, being at the forefront of, of an effort and having that as your role mm-hmm. is, uh, is very uh, satisfying. Well, and you also uh, mentioned that you have always been, when we, when we were preparing for this conversation today, which is so different from the things we've talked about in the past, um, that you mentioned that I was always a big believer, and I still am, in having a method. So, uh, and the yep. method, you were referring to a method that you're now applying to executive coaching. So tell us about that method. Is it yours? Is it something you developed from a number of your own experiences? Uh, go into a little more detail about your method. Sure. Certainly, uh, uh, CIO Executive Council, the Pathways Program, they provide us with um, material okay. and, and methods as well and, 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 and the freedom to bring really your years of experience 
um, and combine it with that. But mm -hmm. mo mo most or everything that I bring has been um, learned and developed over the years, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I really believe strongly that, you know, leaders, they're, you know, aren't born. Obviously, everyone's born, but I don't think a leader is just born. I think, you you know, you develop um you, you develop into one and, mm -hmm. uh, and to do that, I think, and to do it well and to be able to know whether you're, you're being successful or not, is you, you have a method, you mm -hmm. lean on your method and you adjust your method, but essentially your method is your method. And so the one I talk about often and work through with those that I'm coaching are four leadership competencies, strategic mm -hmm. thinking and acting, um, and then, you know, creating that strategy and then building organizational capability is the second one. And so building your organizational capability to achieve the strategies you're and, and strategic intent you're after mm -hmm. and then getting results and having the results you go after um, be capable of the organization you've built to get you to the strategic intents that you've you've put in place. So you're yeah. you're basically lining that up um, and then hmm. what's also uh, critical is the fourth one, which is the style, your style, the style of the organization. And, and when coaching folks talk about, you know, it's really less important what your style is. I mean, it's not, not important, but it's less important what your style is. And it's mm -hmm. more important, you know, what your style is. Like, you know, yourself and yeah. you get feedback on yourself and you make those adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly you make those adjustments based on the results you're after, the organization you've built, and the strategies you're intending to achieve, right? Yeah. So, you know, just going through that method and separating those things out, but bringing those competencies together, that's right. the, you know, how you do that. That's, yeah. the, that's the method. Well, you told me a very uh, entertaining story about one uh, conversation you were having with one of your own mentors uh, probably many years ago, and it was about a problem you were trying to solve at work, and you ended up he ended up giving you some tough love about your own leadership style. So oh, yeah. tell, <laughs> I love that story, I so I'm going to well, force you to tell it's, it. It's, <laughs> it's just one of those that's imprinted in your mind for a long time. It's yeah. like one of those moments in your in in, in career and life, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, well, I was in a very um, you know, precarious situation as a leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was, there was a lot at stake, uh, and decisions had to be made. And, and, uh, I, I sought help, uh, from someone I had worked with in the past who I, who, you know, was, I really trusted in terms of, well, I know if I, I know mm -hmm. if I call Craig, he's gonna, he's, <laughs> he's, he's gonna give it to me straight. Right. So yeah. he's not going to um, sugarcoat so this. He's going to tell no, me. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, I reached out to him and uh, we had a phone call and and he goes, there you go again, Justin, you've got the right answer and you can't get it done. Ooh. Whose fault is that? Right. Ooh. You know, it's, and, you know, you know, you're like, it's not the organization's fault, which, you know, I might have I might have sounded like I was blaming the organization uh, a little bit or or okay. some of the team or whatever. And, and Craig just, you know, gave it right between the eyes. And, and um <laughs> And it, so you're like, right, exactly. Own it and, uh, um, and okay. adjust, you know, yeah. meaning, you know, and I think a lot of leaders find themselves in the situation where like, gosh, darn it all, I got the right answer and that should be good enough. And it's not right. Uh, you know, you now, now if you have the right answer, what's your strategy? What's the organization that's going to deliver on it? Mm -hmm. You know, what results are you going to set to get there? And, um, you know, 
those types of things. Yeah. Well, and you made another point, too, when we were talking earlier about coaching and leadership, that there is a transition you make at some point where um, it it's not about meeting the goals of the organization. It's actually about helping to form the goals and the direction of the organization and probably the IT organization or maybe even at different levels, business partners you're working with. Um, what Talk about that a little bit, about how you get to that next step where instead of just doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're actually broadening the horizons. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's great. Uh, I was just talking with um, some coaches mm-hmm. you know, recently on this exact topic. And I oh. think as you as you as you get further into your career and your responsibilities increase, obviously you're you're responsible to get done with the organization um, feels you should be getting done or, right. or thinks you should be getting done. And and you need to demonstrate that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. With with your strategies, with your org, the results you get. And, and but you're not yet the leader who's influencing the funnel of work coming mm-hmm. into your organization. And I think the next level up as a leader is you're able to do what's expected of your organization. And then how do you get yourself as a leader to where you're totally influencing what the corporation is expecting of you, yeah. not just they're expecting what they expect of you and giving it to you and you're getting it done. Right. It's getting to that level where you now influence what what is your input funnel. You're influencing what's going into the, the work input that's coming into your organization. Hmm. And that takes you to the level of now, not just your organization, but the strategy of the entire corporation. Yeah. And you know, that's the that's where you want to get to. And and mm-hmm. and I'll make the point of in technology leadership today, that's even more critical than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Right? Knowing how to do that, learning how to really truly influence um, and get done what what you know you believe the corporation needs to expect of you. Yes, not you just do what they expect of you, and someone else is figuring out what's expected of you. You really have influence over what is expected of your organization, and that that drives the overall corporation and its stakeholders Mm -hmm. to be more successful. Well, and I think about how a decade or more ago, we were always talking about how CIOs could get that seat at the table. And probably more than 75% of the Fortune 200, Fortune 500 CIOs have that seat at the table now. And it's what you do with that seat once you get there. And that's, of course, that's really a strategic driver's seat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we used to call that with several folks on my leadership team, and just previously is okay. The dog caught the bus. <laughs> now what? Yes, right? yes. So, like, oh, look out! The dog caught the bus. Okay, we're on the bus. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Now what? Are, now what are we going to do? Yeah. Right. You know, and um, and we caught the right bus. Not the yes, wrong bus. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And it was, it is, it's one of those things about being careful what you wish for because you, exactly. yes, you always yeah. want it. And then there you are, you know? Um, so I like, I like to say, you know, yes, be careful what you wish for, but more importantly, prepare for what you wish for. That's a very good motto. And so that's what you're right. doing with that. You're coaching five different executives. And they're not all right on the cusp of becoming CIOs themselves. You're actually talking with, you're helping people at different levels in their leadership careers, from what you've told me. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. 
Why did you yeah. want to, why did you want to work with a variety of leadership candidates? Because I know some coaches come in to work with the council and they say, uh, you know, I only want folks that are, you know, like right on the cusp of the CIO job itself. That's where I can bring most value. I think it's really um, rewarding and important um, to not just help people achieve their potential, but um, but see what their potential can be and maybe even in the coaching change what they think their potential is mm-hmm. um, and, you know, then go about, um, you know, in, in a, you know, learning to do in a way that um, they achieve more than they expected of, of what they thought yeah. they could achieve. And I think that's to me, that's coaching. Yep. Right. You know, you're not okay. you're not setting the goals for them. You're helping them figure out what the goals are. And then yeah. maybe you're maybe maybe with some effective coaching, their goals are bigger. Yes, exactly. Or or, or more or more appropriate to what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Do you ever find yourself becoming like your own mentor, that tough love guy that we mentioned? Do you ever like find yourself saying to them, well, you know, here's the problem. The problem is actually you here. And here's what I see. Um, Because you have such a nice guy persona. I have such I I uh, have trouble imagining uh, you being that between the eyes with anybody. Can you do that now? Uh, you know, I've been really blessed. Uh, I have had a mentor for 40, 41 years wow. and she's, uh, she's, oh, you're she's talking about Joan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. She's, uh, she hears it all and she's pretty good at, uh, you know, you know, no, you know, giving yeah. it, giving it straight back and, mm-hmm. and, uh, all that's, right. uh, that's been, you know, it's a, like, it's been a team sport for all those years. So yes. wouldn't be here without that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Now, and I was just about to remind our audience to take advantage of our live connection with Justin here and tap in with questions. And then I look at my uh, very high tech method for picking up those questions here on, on my on my phone. And we have one and it's a really good one. Um, so thanks to the person that sent this in. So the question for Justin says, looking from, you know, your, your long career, 1985 and onward, you must have seen so many changes and ups and downs in the corporate world around you what was the proudest moment of your career to date when you felt a real positive in fact impact was being made to the society around us that's a big question yeah that's a big question mm-hmm. um you know a couple of I, you know it's wow that's a, you, that's a I, I have to really think on that one yeah and you, you know. can and you can think, have more than one proud moment that's okay yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, these are little, some of them are little silly things. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but, you know, we had a moment uh, at, at Eaton, we were visiting a plant uh, that had been very successful, very mm-hmm. successful post a technology transformation we had taken them through. Good. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, our, our vice chair at the time was Craig Arnold and the, the, there was a woman in the plant and she thanked them for the technology transformation. And I was standing there and, mm-hmm. you know, and so were several others. And, and he asked her what's been great about it. And she said, well, quite frankly, you know, I've worked here for 30 years and um, my, this is since putting the plant in my, my, my son was born at the end of a month. And by putting in this new trans, this new system, 
um, you know, at the end of every month, this plant for 30 years, their, their shipments would hockey stick Yeah, and everybody would work the whole last week of the month. Um, they would just be working, you know, 24 seven to get all the shipments out. Mm-hmm. And with the new system, they leveled off and shipped just as much, if more, and all the work leveled off. And she said, I was able to go home at the end of the month, at the end of the day, and not have to work till midnight. And I made my son's 31st birthday. Oh, that's wonderful. And you're, I mean, that, that little, that's one of those little stories that sticks with you. And so yeah. there, there was a technology transformation that had an mm-hmm. impact you know, on, on that, that person. And, um, and, and we kind of knew at the time the, the crew in the industrial sector that was putting in some of these systems that we had gotten pretty good at it. And some of those results were, that was not mm-hmm. just the only organization that was achieving some pretty good results. And not everything was perfect, but well, no, um, that was, you know, that was a, a good, and then some of the work on sustainability and, mm-hmm. and, um, and just creating efficiencies across Cargill, um, you know, when you, when, when Cargill's more efficient, the world is a better place. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and the corporation puts enormous amount of work into being very, very efficient. And of course it has to, when you're yeah. in the commodity industry. Um, and, you know, to me, some of it was amazing to me just how good that corporation is at some of the things that it does, um, for the volume of things that it moves. Mm-hmm. And so being part of that and and part of the, the organization's dedication to improvement, you know, in sustainable supply chains and yeah. food and ag, right? Again, it's not perfect, but, you know, people really, really working really hard mm-hmm. to, to, you know, be better. Yeah. And I, I call that, you know, winning through the aggregation of marginal gain, right? So just getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better over and over and over, mm-hmm. right? So those moments where you see you made something a little bit better, that those were really proud moments and, and you know, yeah. really satisfying. Well, and when you look at uh, Cargill's website, I'm trying to remember now what the company motto is. It's something about feeding the world. Oh, nourishing the world in a safe, responsible, sustainable way. Oh, there yeah. you go. That rolled. That didn't yeah. roll right off my yeah. tongue, but you knew what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. That has yeah. always been something that um, uh, that just it's, it's hard to argue with a company motto like that. And yeah, it's, yeah, you know, you know, and I would say, Mary Fran, the, one of the reasons to help Brighton and Aquabyte is this is a found, this is a startup company using amazing. AI technology with cameras in a, wow. in an industry that um, needs to work on overall sustainability and Aquabyte's really helping that industry and yeah. its customers become a lot more sustainable, right? And, and mm-hmm. so that's another um, proud moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when, when uh, you get to help an organization, obviously it's a company, it's, it needs to you know, have payback for its stakeholders. Sure. Um, but it's also working really hard to do the right thing and deliver the kind of capability um, that's needed. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that over and over and over and over again with technology, I think that can have an impact on the world. Yeah. Tell tell us a little bit more about Aquabyte. This is one of your new board responsibilities. You've joined. Are you a board advisor well, a, or are you a director? I'm an I'm an advisor okay. to to Brighton Shang and mm-hmm. um, and you know. working on several tasks with him. Okay. Right. Right. So one, you know, um, 
working on strategy, working on business development and things of that nature from, uh, from his, uh, you know, perch in, as the leader of the corporation. Mm-hmm. Aquabyte is a, is an aquaculture, uh, company. It's a SaaS platform. Cameras are in, um, this, the salmon pods in primarily in, uh, in the North Atlantic in the Norwegian salmon industry. And there's also uh, mm-hmm. some in Chile, you know, okay. so salmon is a cold water species. And, um, yes. and the camera is, is helping transform the efficiency of the pods and, um, and the health of the pod and, uh, and, and the sustainability of the, uh, part that, that part of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I want to pivot over and talk a little bit more about the, um, you made a comment a little earlier about how important, how much, how strategic and vital the role of the CIO has become just generally. Is that largely due to the kind of golden spotlight that the pandemic, one of the the few cheerful things out of the last few years, has been how incredibly appreciated and important um, IT leaders have become because of the things that they were able to do. The, The companies that had never imagined that they could effectively run with all or most of their employees working from home. And the only thing that, that of course, made that possible was, was technology. Um, so in the, and by the time you left a year ago, you'd already spent a couple of years dealing with all that as well for Cargill. So talk about the, the elevation of IT leadership and just the IT role, and especially what you think IT leaders can do to maintain that kind of appreciation and the faith in technology that has been maybe bestowed or maybe earned over the last few years? Yeah, I would say it started before the pandemic, right? The need and the criticality Mm -hmm. of the role um, definitely started before the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I think for the, for the most sophisticated and highest performing companies, you know, um, it started long before that. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, but it hasn't really, um, changed across all industries and all companies. No, I don't think there's still more work to do mm-hmm. in terms of the the role and how the role is filled and what's expected of the role and its impact on the corporation. I think there's still more work to do. And mm-hmm. and like again, I said forums like this help that. Good. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you know, and I'll I'll, um, I'll say it all seriousness. You know, and then with a little bit of humor. Uh, the pandemic did did put, shine a light on mm-hmm. on us and our role and, and our mm-hmm. teams in the corporations for those that successfully right traversed traversed that and uh, and yeah. I would say yeah for in the early stages of the pandemic um, you know they were uh, I laugh I say they were building statues to the IT teams and <laughs> IT leaders because of how fast the world a lot of the world pivoted yes um, to be able to how how yeah. that worked. Um, was accomplished. And then, you know, and then I think when we all started submitting our new budgets a year later, a year mm-hmm. and a half later, maybe some of those statues <laughs> melted to the ground. But I was going to say some of them but, turned um, out to be made from and, salt and it started to rain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it started to melt to the ground. And, and although I, I think um, that was a really huge learning moment uh, for a lot of organizations and a, mm-hmm. and a good one, meaning like what's possible. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but also obviously very, uh, very disruptive, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think, you know, figuring out how best work gets done and where it gets done and, and all of those things, mm-hmm. 
is um, is still something that's being worked out. Yeah. Uh, but I certainly think it did it did help accelerate um, the criticality mm-hmm. of um, of an IT leader. And it, and to me, one of the real um, critical learnings was, man, the one thing you cannot do as an IT leader, as a CIO, uh, or as a technology executive is, is like fall asleep on how good you are at the fundamentals. Okay. You know, the fundamentals mm-hmm. of, of, of very good information technology management. Mm-hmm. And if you, those who were pretty good at the fundamentals did well in the mm-hmm. transition of the pandemic, um, and and those that that didn't you know struggled or had to do what they do and take on an awful lot more risk, yeah, right, and then and then go back and address the risk. Mm-hmm. I think a, I think a lot of organizations had to do some of that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the big learnings through the pandemic was you know just how important it is to be good at the fundamentals, like have the inventory of your technology, you know. Mm-hmm. Have, um, where are your backups? You know, how, you know, how fast can you restore things and mm-hmm. all of the, what we, you know, think is boring and not exciting and <clears throat> all of that stuff, I think, uh, is, you know, we learn is really, really critical, yeah. um, critical part of the leadership, right. And how to do it and do it really well. And yeah. then also be involved in, in driving all the more advances that are coming, you mm-hmm. know, like digital, digital platforms and, data and AI and, yes. and those types of things to improve the organization. But you have to pay very, very close attention to the fundamentals. And that that mm-hmm. starts right at the top. All right. And that's a, such a perfect pivot to my next question, because I want to talk about ransomware. That was yeah. um, I one of the things I noticed when I, I look back at more than two years ago when you and I spoke on, on this show, uh, you're one of the very few CIOs who was willing to actually talk in a little bit of detail about the security, the information security awakening that you'd had and building a security operations center and all that sort of thing. In fact, you wanted to talk about it because you're looking to draw more talent to the company. Um, And the last time we spoke, uh, I discovered that you are in about to launch with two other um, two other business colleagues, essentially a consultancy to help small and medium sized businesses win the fight or avoid getting knocked out of the ring then by ransomware. So why is this so important? Why are you so passionate about of all the cybersecurity things that might happen to companies? Um, why does this one catch your interest more than the rest of it? <clears throat> yeah, it's um, I guess it really starts to, you know, when I joined Cargill um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, quickly learning and understanding that there is a, you know, big chunk of work required uh, to really secure the corporation um, and manage the risk of cybersecurity mm-hmm. uh, much, much better than what had been being done previously. And I would say that, you know, that corporation wasn't any different than any of its other peers at the time or even mm-hmm. others that are similar to it in other industries. It was, you know, 10, 15 years ago was the real, you know, acceleration of of the need to really address security um with a lot with a lot more focus and what i would say is really then be, it was the beginning of 
everything having to go through everything you did in technology having to go through that lens ah, okay. um, because because technology was accelerating um and you know things connecting to the internet and secure and unsecure mm-hmm. you know at a much faster rate and you know uh about nine plus yeah eight nine years ago um when i was at cargo we were mm-hmm. we had a piece of the corporation hit by a ransom attack Mm-hmm. And essentially, that entire uh, chunk of um, of the business was really kind of offline. Like all the data, all the backups, everything ransomed. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I got a call at four in the morning. You know, hey, we, you know, this business is is no longer. You know, we, it's it's gone essentially. And what do you mean gone? And, and, uh, <laughs> I know, you know, like it wasn't the whole. It wasn't the whole company, but it was. You know, to right. and and even inside of Cargill. You might call it a, you know, f- f- not a sizable chunk of the corporation, but you know, mm-hmm. a small. What's small to Cargill is very, very big yeah. to other, yeah. to other pieces. Us. So it was, it was not, it was not an insignificant loss, and um, and that was that was the the wake up call at, at Cargill had already begun. Yeah, uh, has a Cargill has an outstanding CISO, and he laid mm-hmm. out a plan and a method to build out uh, mm-hmm. capability and we gave them the dollars to do it and now you know that uh, they're in a much different posture and position of course no, no one's perfect but a much different posture and position than we were at that time yeah and that was really the double wake-up call that was like the real slap in the face or punch in the gut mm-hmm. to um and you never forget it no i right? would imagine I mean, if not. You're in, yeah if you're you never forget it. I mean, it's, you know, you imagine we, we call it the word ransom, getting ransom. That's not yeah. fun. Right. You no, know, like, no. You know, nobody wants to, no, nobody wants to be held up. And, um, and mm-hmm. if, if, uh, I don't think there's a good CIO or CEO or board member or executive team member out there mm-hmm. that doesn't take it personal. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I mean, well, it's and, not a good feeling. And how many times does uh, a top executive at a $160 billion company literally get a wake-up call at four in the morning right. that says, this right. has and, just happened to us? Right. And, you yeah. know, hats off to, to the leadership mm-hmm. at Cargill at the time. They um, were outstanding, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all the way to the board. I mean, and, yeah. um, and you know, we... We we got on it pretty quick, and it mm-hmm. took a while. The business was restored, and all that other stuff. But you know, you just don't forget. You know, the when that happens, and then okay, now let's dissect that. What do we got to do? Yeah. Um, you know, to what do we got to do so that never happens again? And then what you quickly realize on this issue is, well, there's really there's a whole lot you have to do. Yes. But you can never ever say. It'll never ever happen again, right? No matter right? what you do, the, something could happen. No matter what you mm-hmm. do, right? But you can't not do, right? So you have to you have to learn. You have to have a strategy for this. You have to have organizational capability. You got to target mm-hmm. results year after year, and uh, and then you've got to build you know the kind of culture and resiliency into the organization mm-hmm. so that now it's not just the CISO's job or the CIO's job, the entire corporation, the entire entity has to be involved in how a corporation is secured. And so, you know, carry that over to, you know, a passion that I've had is like, 
you know, there's small to medium sized businesses are the heart and soul of supply chains all over the world, yes, particularly in manufacturing mm-hmm. and all different industries. I mean, the big, the big guys are the big guys and the big guys can take care of themselves. They have, you know, the capability and, and the wherewithal to do that. And the small to medium size, which are the heart and soul and employ a lot of people. Yes. Need, I think need help in regards to, you know, cyber and, and what to do and how to do it and, and how to take the shroud off of the mystery of, you know, what's this technical cyber stuff, you know, and I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I could help do that with, and so, you know, we're, we've formed a company called Four Corners Cyber mm-hmm. and we're going to launch it here in a few, probably another two months or so. And I'm uh, just trying to dot our I's and cross our T's to get mm-hmm. things right. And, um, and really help that part of, of the business world um, across uh, several industries, you know, address the regulatory stuff that's coming, yeah. the roadmaps that are needed, the playbooks that need to be in place, where their vulnerabilities are, how to put them on a roadmap, what to address first, you know, mm-hmm. through assessment. And then also because of because of these two other business partners um, in the recruiting world and staffing world and doing that with technology, a company called Solustaff, which is mm-hmm. the people I'm partnering with, um, who staff technology positions. Ah, um, okay. You know, we, we can then also not just here's your plan, here's your whatever, but okay, now we're, we can also help you find the individuals because the recruiting around finding, um, yeah. you know, uh, technology people that can do cyber work and and do mm-hmm. the, and have them in your organization. Most HR organizations don't have; they're more generalized in their recruiting, and this is more of a specific yes. type of recruiting around technology. And so then we can turn around and help, you know, land a couple of people, or or mm-hmm. whether it's temporary or full time, and get that organization, you know, on the road to, um, you know, being more resilient. Yeah, you know. I like to say cyber risk is now business risk and mm-hmm. fortune favors the prepared, right? So yeah. I say the word prepared a lot, right? But cyber <laughs> yes. risk is business risk now. I mean, and, yeah. and in a lot of companies, it's the number one risk and fortune's going to favor the prepared, right? I'm stealing that yeah. quote from Louis. Mm-hmm. But, um, Louis Ehrlich, you, know, you mean? The, it, yeah. Well, no, Louis Pasteur. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> fortune, I always fortune go to CIO, prepare, right? so, famous CIO quotes rather yeah, than famous yeah, world-renowned yeah. scientists. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's what um, that's what's happening, and and you know we're we're passionate about it. We want to we want to try and see you know the impact we can make. And yes, and, um, well, you know, and yeah. you are so well equipped to go in and speak to a board and make them understand that this isn't about some geeky ransomware cyber thing. This is actually about business resiliency. And uh, sure. that is an area, as you said, the big companies all have a pretty good handle on this now. They've got their security operations centers. You know, they they would not have any excuse for being unable to deal with it at this point. But when you think of those, what, 50 or 60,000 mid-sized companies alone, we're not even talking about small businesses, um, this would be such a daunting subject to take on. But Yeah, and and... And how do you do it practically? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and 
Yeah, and have, be an advisor, be a coach, you know, mm-hmm. to help those executives make the investments they need. Like, you know, I think a lot of times we're afraid, oh my God, we're gonna have to spend so much money all at once. And really it's it's really kind of getting it into the agenda, slicing some mind space out for it. Yes. You know, having the discussions, making some investments over, you know, mm-hmm. and having strategies over periods of time that are going to get you on the road to more resiliency. Yes. And I think a lot, a lot is happening in this, in this realm. So we're not the only, we're not obviously not the only ones. We're going to sure. be another company of, in, amongst many. And I just think, you know, we need a lot mm-hmm. uh, because I think this is a really critical, um, it's a really critical capability that every organization is going to need. Um, yes. I mean, I, I think I read a study not too long ago uh, was McKinsey or the FBI. Mm-hmm. There's a cyber event every 14 seconds. And <laughs> last year, the average ransom was 800,000. Wow. And I think yeah. from just a couple of years ago, it was like 300,000. And now last year it was mm-hmm. 800,000. I mean, I'm, I've, I, I can't remember the exact study, but I just think you, you start adding that up. The ransom is the ransom. And then there's the backup, the recovery, the lost downtime or whatever. I mean, it's a big number. Yeah. Well, and I I was doing a a little uh, following up on some stuff you had said about it. I did a little Googling around on it as well and saw that cyber there's a, a researcher called Cybersecurity Ventures, and they were estimating that ransomware costs could reach $265 billion by the year 2031. Um, numbers like that always make your eyes cross a little bit because it's such a big number, you can't really imagine it. But there were some examples yeah. about the size of ransom that some very well-known companies had to pay. There was an oil and gas company had to pay a $4.5 million ransom a few years ago. There was a, right. you, you probably yep. know the global meat producer company cited here, and theirs was an $11 million ransom. And then a big yep. um, financial insurance player uh, reportedly paid $40 million. Now, um, so small or medium-sized companies listening to this might think, well, you know, they're not going to come after me because we couldn't pay them $40 million, so maybe we'll be safe. Maybe they won't pay attention to us, which I could imagine CEOs saying that. And you have a counter-argument to that, the idea that we're too small for someone to ransom us? Yeah, no, I because there's more and more people joining the market Ah. And the cost to the cost to um, deliver uh, an attack has gone down. Ah, the levels right. of sophistication have gone up. Um, I think it's in, everyone should have the attitude. It's inevitable, and okay. we should be prepared for it. Right? I mean, Good. that's that's mm-hmm. just the that's just, like I said. And I think mm-hmm. you know us in our leadership roles now. This and and I think it's there uh, by and large. But there's a, a lot more. Mm-hmm. to do in terms of putting everything through this lens and yeah. then even helping, you know, with the coaching, helping the upcoming leaders learn how to um, address this, present it, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and sell it uh, to to those who are going to, you know, put the put the money where mm-hmm. the capability is needed to, yeah. to get it done. I mean, it's not it's not easy to sell. Um, this feels like you have to buy insurance and, you know, and all that other stuff. Right. And well, maybe I'll mm-hmm. just buy the cyber insurance, but you've got to do more than that. Right. I mean, yeah. because the, the first thing the insurer is going to do is assess you and your premium, you know, is going to uh, be big that's if right. you're doing very little, Yeah, and, you know, that, I mean, so there's, it's, it's, um, 
It's mm. a responsibility and a capability that really has to get paid attention to. Yeah. Well, and I, I looked up, I was checking out every year. Um, it started at CIO Magazine and now CIO.com does our state of the CIO research every year. Um, and the 2023 version always comes out in January. And I'm always so fascinated with it because it's a snapshot of what um, something over a thousand IT leaders, but also line of business leaders and CEOs, what they're paying attention to in the IT world and and how things are happening. And there was a, a very interesting finding this year that the need for security improvements was cited as the number one reason for technology budgets increasing in 2023. Because there's been sure. a lot of focus on that, and that there were uh, every year the CIOs, are, of course, are surveyed. And we're talking this is more than 840, I think, CIOs in this year's research about where they anticipate their involvement to increase in the following areas. And this isn't just budget increases. This is how much are you paying attention to this? Cybersecurity led the list. 70% of those 800 plus CIOs said their involvement was going to be increasing in cybersecurity. Data analytics and data privacy came in second, but that was at 55%. So, you know, wow. there's, yeah, yep. so the recognition of that resiliency and what it's meaning to corporations, I think, has really, really arrived home. Um, let me see. I want to also, uh, on top of all of the things you've been talking about, and these have been great, you, we've mentioned boards here and there. Um, mm -hmm. Your experience as a board member, and you started on the ATCOR board in 2017, which happened to be the same year that you joined the CIO Hall of Fame. I don't think anyone listening would be surprised to find that you're in the Hall of Fame. Um, but um, the work that you did on a board for three, four, five years before you moved into this next phase of your, your APRE CIO life, what does being on a board do for you as a working CIO? And why? And would you recommend it for other full-time busy CIOs to start thinking about serving on a board of directors now, not waiting until they're retired? I would just okay. to answer that question right <laughs> up front. I mean, you know, um, hopefully, uh, you know, as a leader, you get opportunities to develop your own leadership mm -hmm. and you get leadership development opportunities, you know, throughout your career. And I've been lucky to have some fantastic ones from early on in my career. Mm -hmm. GE, W.L. Gore, Eaton, you know, um, and then even even at Eaton, being part of teaching leadership development across the corporation um, was uh, was was one of the significant leadership learnings, you know, for me um, that, that took me, I think, helped me go to another level. It's one thing to know how to do something. It's another to know how to teach it. Yes. Um, and what's what. I probably it's the most significant leadership development um, growth in my ah. career was when I joined Adcor when I became a board member mm -hmm. because we're and and I I would put myself on the severe end of this we love to run things oh yeah right? operation you know, let leaders, me we, let me know, put my hands on I the wheel <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and that, and that's a you know you learn and certainly learned at Cargill. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, made the move from going from the an operator to now, okay, you've got to 
you've got to help govern and lead mm-hmm. and and create culture and all these things that are really critical. Um, and I would say, you know, at joining the Accor board, which is a fantastic board, it's an incredible mm-hmm. company, great leadership, um, and a great board uh, where where we really are a team. Um, and we really mm-hmm. care about each other and the corporation and the other leaders. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, that was, um, that was, that was, I wasn't sure what I expected joining the board if that would actually be there, if that camaraderie, like a leadership team and, yeah. and whatever. And it really, it really is, which, which is, which I learned is critical to a great board. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's also critical to a great board is you don't run the company. Um, you know, right. you, you are a board, you govern. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is very different and you have to think, you have to rethink what you ask. You have to ask about, you have to rethink uh, your approach um, because mm-hmm. the executive team and the CEO and, you know, um, runs the company and you're really trying to evaluate how are they doing? What questions, you know, do we need to ask? What, well, let's make sure we're connecting mm-hmm. um, our reporting to everything you know, regulatory, you know, all of the board type responsibilities, which are very different than running uh, the corporation. Now, having years of experience of running very large things mm-hmm. um, and having the financial acumen, um, you know, those those are important as well. But I, I would say, you know, you you look at the corporation through a different set of lenses when you're on a board than when you're on the executive team or the CEO. Yeah. And and learning how to do that um, is uh, is a different it's a different level of leadership. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's some great organizations out there and things you can read to help you do that, right? And um, which ones are you? you? Know, so I'm on the yeah. I was going to ask well, which I'm on ones audit, you're. Audit, uh, I'm on mm-hmm. the audit committee. I'm a member of the audit committee, and I'm yeah. now the chair of the human resources and compensation committee. Mm-hmm. And um, so you know, going through and reading you know, the, like how to, how to be a chair and, and what your responsibilities are. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's different than, you know, being a CIO or, or even CEO or whatever. And I, yeah. I found that, um, that was a stretch. I mean, and so you, you know, you, you now have that as a, as a leader and I would encourage any CIO out there, Good. uh, to, um, you know, to try and if you can do it, do it. It's, it's work. It's extra work. Sure it is. Um, and, That's, and it's worth it. I wouldn't, do, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do two if I was one, if no. I was working full time at Cargill or whatever, but one. Yeah. And, um, and, and you'll come back as a better leader for your corporation. That certainly happened to me, right? You know, mm-hmm. when, when DMAC, the CEO, David McLennan, who's now transitioned uh, to, you know, Brian Sykes, mm-hmm. um, He's, you know, he's like, okay, you can do this. What's, you know, like what's in it for, for Cargill? And he already knew the answer. He was yeah, just, he wanted said, to see well, if I, you I said, knew think, the answer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, and 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 he said, well, I, I think I'm really going to be an even better leader mm-hmm. um, from going through this. And he's like, yeah, you're you're right. And uh, but he asked me another really critical question. Okay, would you be willing to join Atcor and work there as an employee? Mm. Right, because if if you wouldn't, don't join the board. Like, cause you want to, you want to work at a company yeah. that you believe in and is run the way you think it should be run. And I thought that was a really smart uh, criteria to think yeah. about. Don't just say yes to any board. Right. right? 
Yeah, I've heard that. You know. I got well. I got fascinated with this whole topic a couple of years ago, and and I've written a series of columns and done interviews on that are on CIO.com now. And I because I used to sit at those Hall of Fame gala award dinners, and we'd be talking around right. the table with all the people that were about to march up on stage and be given their Hall of Fame award, and I'd say, well, it, as you're at this you know wonderful peak of your career right now, what do you want to do in retirement? And unanimously, everybody wanted to be on boards. And not just nonprofit boards. Most everybody was already, not to denigrate what nonprofit boards do, but most of them were already involved in something where they were volunteering their time. But I'm talking about for-profit and paid board positions. And everybody was planning on it, but very unlike CIOs, when I would ask further, I'd say, well, what are you doing about that now? And they would just kind of look blankly at me like, well, what do you mean? Because they thought that what happens is, like you find your next big CIO role, usually an executive recruiter calls you and says, hey, I have this opportunity. And a lot of the CIOs I was speaking to a couple of years ago, probably everybody is, is much more aware of it now, they thought it was going to happen in the same way, that like that your next executive role, that it would come looking for you. But that's pretty rare for boards. You actually have to work your own network and let it be known that you're interested. Um, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, I, I would say I I got uh, lucky when it came to Atcor, mm -hmm. and that was a result of um, maintaining relationships. You know, everywhere mm -hmm. I had worked with some of the leaders. So one of one of the presidents at Eaton Corporation had retired mm -hmm. while I was at Cargill. Um, and he was part of Clayton Dublin and Rice, the private equity. Um, and Atcor okay. went public from that private equity. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And um, this gentleman's name was Bill. And uh, and he gave them my name, and they reached out, and yep. and I, you know, I interviewed and whatever. So that mm -hmm. that relationship, he he and I had a very close relationship when we worked at Eaton, and um, yeah. and he I, was one of the outstanding presidents. In the in the in inside of Eaton, mm -hmm. and um, and so I remained close with him, and and he 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 also acted like a, you know a mentor to me. I would I would ask him, you know, what he thought about things when I was at Eaton, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know, and that that type of thing. So so he he looked out for me, and yeah, and, uh, and you know, well, and that relationship turned into this, this opportunity, and yes, and it worked out well. And that is a great example of why it is so important to have um, a network of connections and people you know and trust and will give you advice outside of your CIO circles into the business world sure. itself. I, you know, I kept coming up with that over and over with CIOs. Uh, I also encourage CIOs who get interested in this to look around amongst their network of CIOs and find out how, you know, like do that informational interview about uh, how they got to the board position that they're on, because it's usually something like what you just described, someone who's been in business, who has admired you. Um, I've even encountered CIOs where their chief executives at the company have suggested it to them and have said, you know, I want to put your name forward. Uh, there was one CEO who said it's a fantastic education in executive management and I won't have to pay for it. <laughs> 
you know, I won't yeah. have to, I won't yeah. have to send you to Harvard to get a PhD in management science. You'll actually be doing some amazing work for another company. Um, so I think it's a, uh, it's definitely a good idea not to wait until retirement. No. And even, even think like, okay, well, what are, what are the characteristics and experiences I need, you know, to be a business leader, even mm-hmm. though I'm a technology leader, you know, how do you think like a business leader, you get experience as a business leader, those mm-hmm. types of things. Um, and vice versa, you know, business leaders really learning a lot more about technology. I mean, it's really, I think, very necessary um, now because like, just 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 think what technology is going to mean going forward, Mary Fran, and everybody yeah. that's listening. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're all reading about AI now and data. And, I mean, it's just becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and more important in yes. every corporation. Yes. In, uh, everywhere. All right. Well, and usually at the end of these interviews, I ask my guests to talk about, um, you know, the lead, their leadership highlights, but we've spent our entire hour talking about that. So I guess the question I have for you as we, as we part here is just kind of general advice on leadership. What do you, what do you recommend to IT leaders that are coming up the ladder in their corporations um, about what's a great next step for them or something to think about or a book to read or that sort of thing? Sure. I would say think about it. Um, mm-hmm. Purposely develop, uh, learn about, learn about leadership, right? Yes. So w- w- one of the, one of the things in the coaching I do is, okay, now between now and the next meeting, good. Um, we both have to come back with, what did you learn since the last time we talked? Ah, right. Okay. And so a mentor did this with me at one point and, oh, and, uh, and I had a, and I, I learned in the first meeting after that question was, I didn't think about what I had learned and I was about to meet with my mentor and he was going to ask me, what did I learn? And so I you, was real honest with him. I learned that I'm really not a learner and I have to fix that. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things you want to put on your list is learn about leadership, like read books about leadership, read books yeah. about other leaders, yep. you know, pick and pick, pick and make your own method and your own style mm-hmm. from that. But it's not going to happen automatically. You have to, you have to invest some, some time into it. And I found reading always the right way and, yep. and observing other leaders yep. and building relationships with them. Well, and I'm I'm strongly tempted to say and listen to this podcast, right? Because we've yes, had listen to the podcast. We've had <laughs> I'm doing exactly. commercials, doing commercials for ourselves here. Because uh, we've had uh, now we're over a hundred of these interviews since late 2018. We've been doing them. Yeah. So thank you yeah. so much for coming back for a second visit, and as always, having so much to contribute to the conversation. It's been absolutely wonderful having you here today, Justin. <laughs> I appreciate it, Mary Fran. You guys do a great job and keep it up. Okay. Yes, sir. I will take that as my instruction. (laughs) And so if you joined us late today, don't worry. You can watch the full episode of this conversation right here on LinkedIn later today, but also on CIO.com and on CIO's YouTube channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And I hope that you got as much out of and enjoyed today's conversation with Justin Kershaw as I did. He is a CIO executive coach, a retired CIO. Like all of you out there, he is so many different things and so good for businesses out there. And I hope you'll plan to tune in at next time. Our next Leadership Live will be on Wednesday, May 3rd, when I will be speaking 
speaking with Kevin Gray, who is the CIO of the city of Burbank, California. So we will dive into the politics and the leadership issues around being a municipal CIO. Thanks again for joining us today, and please take a moment to subscribe to CIO's YouTube channel, because God forbid you should miss one of these amazing episodes. You'll find all of the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live there, and I keep pointing out how incredibly bingeable they are, so feel free to just sit down and watch 100-plus hours of these. In the meantime, you probably don't have the time for that, but that's okay. Stay well, and we'll see you here again next time in two weeks. Take care.